So in case you were not here last week, I wanted to make sure that you knew as well that uh, uh, today is Weena Denlinger's last day on staff with us here. She came from the legal world and she's going back into that. And we just so appreciate her influence. By the, and, and just in case you missed it, they're not moving. So they'll still be here. You'll still see her and the family. And, but I just wanted to let you know that. And so we got her a gift from all of us. And uh, it is a weekend away. And, uh, and so if Scott is in here, I want to, and I can't see you, I want to let you know that there was more candy in this bag until I got it this morning. Um, but I think, I think you'll be okay. Uh, but that's a weekend away. And so just as a way of saying, man, how much we love her and appreciated what she has done here. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, you know, she said, don't make a big deal out of it. And whoever started that clap, it's on you. Uh, I'm just saying. So if you're here for the first time this morning, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor and uh, really appreciate you being here. And if you're checking us out online, thank you for doing that. And I hope we will see you here uh, with us soon. Uh, and so I just want to, I want to say to you, I have a confession uh, to make. I am a people watcher. I have always been one. And so if you're in a car, some might call me a gawker. If you're in a car near me on the road and we come to a stoplight, I'm telling you what, I just look around and I just see who. So I'm, if you're in your car, you may be trying to ignore me because I'm right next to you going, you know, doing, you know, trying to, you know, let you know, that, hey, what's going on? But I've always watched people uh, and not just to see, by the way, not just to see who's near me, but I watch people because I've tried to figure things out about myself by watching others. For instance, when I was in elementary school, especially younger elementary, I would watch, like I was in first grade, I would watch the second, third, fourth graders to try to figure out out on the playground, what kind of, you know, bigger kid do I want to be? And then when I was in fifth and sixth grade and developed elementary, the junior high would let out ahead of the elementary school. And so I would watch them walk by and I tried to figure out by watching them, you know, what kind of a junior high uh, student I wanted to be. And then when I was in a junior high, I watched high school. When I was in high school, I watched college students. When I was in college, I watched married people and guys in ministry to sort of figure out. And when we got married, I started watching parents. And when our kids grew up, I, uh, I started to watch grandpas. And I can't tell you how many times I was was asked what I wanted to be called, which really confused me because I always thought the first grandchild named you. Whatever came out of their mouth, that's what you were. I just didn't want her to say booger or something, you know, like that. That was what I was afraid of. And just so you know, now I'm watching older people, old people, because I'm trying to figure out what kind of old person I'm going to be, you know, next year. Uh, and I don't know, do you ever wonder if people are watching us like that, if they're watching Christians uh, like that, to see how they should be acting? Do you ever wonder, what if, what, if people, what if people are doing that with you right now? When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, uh, first century, he wrote this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, I didn't read the Bible regularly when I was growing up. I went to Sunday school and all that kind of stuff, but I did not read the Bible on my own. I, the first time I remember actually reading this where caught my attention. I fully understood what he was saying. I can remember thinking to myself, wow, Paul, 
someone has a fairly high opinion of themselves <laughs> to tell people, follow my example. A couple of weeks ago, our granddaughter, Clara, was at our house, and she comes and stays uh, one day a week. We get to hang out with her. Well, Sandy does, and I get to see her when I come home. But when I got home, Sandy had made a tent for her on our sofa. Just, you know, nothing fancy, just a blanket draped over the whole thing. And so Clara was sitting inside of the tent, but I could see where she was because she was sitting up and her head was, you know, sticking, you know, you could see where her head was in the blanket. And so I reached under the blanket and I tickled her and I was going, bah, 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 because, you know, because little kids make grown men act like idiots. And, uh, <laughs> and so she started laughing, which she's only two, so it doesn't take a whole lot. So I did it several more times because it was a hit. And, uh, and then I got, you know, tired and winded and I sat down in my chair and she came out from under the tent and she stood up on the end of our sofa and she looked at me and she said, Grandpa, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Look at what Robert Fulgham said. Don't worry that children never listen to you. Worry that they're always watching you. Right? We know that. And sometimes they mimic us when we don't think they're even... I like this one. Parents with family dedication this past weekend, right? You already know this. Uh, grandparents, we know this too. I like this, it's on your notes. Your children will become who you are, so be who you want them to become. Man, that's heavy. That is, good gracious. And it's not always true. But my guess is that we all have a little more of our parents in us than we wish to admit. And every once in a while, they come out of our mouths or out of our actions, unless, unless you have become who you are because of what you saw in your parents that you did not want to be. And so you have become opposite of them because of what you saw growing up or what you experienced growing up in your home. But I tell you that because it runs exactly along the lines of what Paul is saying. So when, so when he says, follow my example, what he's telling us is people are watching us. That's in your notes. I want to make sure you get this and, and just don't miss it. Some are watching from far away because they don't really know you but they see you. And so they're watching you. Some are very close because they're, they're your family member or your friend, or you go to school with them, or you work with them and they're watching you. Do you know why they're watching you? They're watching you because some of them don't know much about Jesus, but their understanding is you do. And they're trying to figure Jesus out by watching you and me. And some people are watching us because they have been following Jesus, but not as long as we have, or at least they don't know. And, and so they're watching us to figure out what does it look like to take my next step in following Jesus? Because all of us in this room, all of us have a next step. We never become entirely like Jesus until we see him in heaven. And so what they're trying to figure that out, which by the way, is why John Acuff said, and it's on your notes, the first church a neighbor visits is your driveway. You don't get to be a good church and a bad neighbor. Let that sink in. You do not get to be a good church and a bad neighbor. So, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And by the way, just so you know, because and I didn't know this when I first read this, this isn't the only time that Paul says this. Look, look at us. So he writes to the church in Philippi, join me together in, say that out loud, some mumblers in the room, join together in what? Following. Following my example. Look at what he says to the church in Thessalonica. So you yourselves know how you ought to what? Follow. Follow. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, look, he didn't just say that about himself. It wasn't just follow my example. He tells Titus, who's one of the guys he's training up in ministry in everything, what? Look at what he said to Titus or Timothy. Some of you already know this because you've heard this verse before, but don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But what? You set the example for other people. Listen, does that freak anybody out in here? Do we have any spiritual panic attacks happening in the room right now? Any spiritual hyperventilation that we need to get out the spiritual brown paper bag so that you can breathe deeply into it? I've told you before that when my kids were growing up, my top two priorities, goals for them, was that number one, they would love Jesus, and number two, they would love the church. And so, you know, those are two separate decisions that need to be made by people. And I knew preacher's kids who were okay with Jesus but could not stand the church. And for some of them, it was the hypocrisy they saw in their parents. Some of it was hypocrisy they saw in the rest of the other people at the church. Or or for some of them, it was how their family was treated as leaders at the church. For some of them, it was because they grew up without a parent because they were always at the church. I just know too many PKs who grew up without a dad. And so I told Sandy before we ever had children, that's not going to be the case in our family, in our house. And to be true, I wasn't as great as that, at that as I wish that I had been. But I will tell you that both of our children love Jesus and they love his church. And our daughter serves here at MCC. I'm so proud of, of what she does and how she leads. There's some ministry work that she leads here. And I still remember the day when our son said, Dad, I want to be a preacher just like you. And I was all at once both proud and humbled because I know what my weaknesses are. And I can still see his eyes. I looked at him and I said, be better than me. Set your goal higher than me. Josh is a student pastor here in town. My nephew is a student pastor in Columbus. I know that they're both watching me. Not because I'm the gold standard. Please don't hear that. And and I'm not the only one that they're watching and they're not carbon copies of me. If you knew them, they're not carbon copies of me in the least. Please, please don't hear me saying that. But what I am saying is they get to figure ministry out a little bit by what I get right and by what I get wrong. My example. And they get to decide if what they see in me matches what they see in Jesus when it comes to leadership in the church. Would Jesus be doing this if he were in my place? And by the way, just so you know, it's not a choice I have. It just is. Just like with you. You don't have a choice whether people are going to watch you or not. They just are. They are watching you, which is why we're in this series that we're starting this morning called Winsome. Winsome is about leading an attractive or appealing life, a life that others, when they watch you, they see something in your life that they want, or as we kind of our tagline on this is leading a life that leads to why, living a life that leads to why. So because people are watching, how can I be the kind of person that people look at and want to be like how can I not that we get everything right not that we're perfect not that we're sinless nothing like that but how are we the kind of people that others look at and say whatever it is you've got whatever it is you're up to I want to live my life that way so last fall 
we did a survey uh, called the Reveal Survey, uh, and it, it asks, I asked for your input on, on the spiritual life, your spiritual life, and our role as a church in it. The goal was to better understand what MCC can do to support your spiritual growth. I just want to make sure this is very clear. There's nothing more important. There's no agenda higher to our elders, our staff, the leaders here, than your spiritual growth. And that's from all the way from, hey, I'm not even sure who Jesus is. Jesus is. I don't know if I want to follow him. I'm just kind of checking it out. All the way to people who have been following Jesus for decades and you're a lifelong follower of Jesus. We want to do everything that we can to help you on your spiritual journey by identifying what is both helpful and ineffective in your experience here at MCC. So for those who were not here this past fall, uh, and so you didn't take the survey, I just want you to know this was not a small thing we asked. You had to set aside 15 to 20 minutes, which sitting in this room doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot, to answer 107 questions that were designed specifically to help us strategize and promote best best services in serving and facilitating your spiritual growth. So we received those results middle of last November. Only two of us saw those at that point, and, and really, we just looked at them briefly, and then we, because it was the Christmas season, and we were told, you know, really, you need to be hearing and seeing this stuff when everyone else, when your other leaders do as well. So we let them sit during the Christmas season. And then in January, we pulled 35 of our leaders together to look at the results. And to be honest, they were hard to look at because Reveal exposed our weaknesses. And we had more weaknesses than you might think. Truthfully, for me, as I read it, it was shocking So we had someone lead us through those results uh, because without someone who understands the results, what they're really saying, it's easy to take the information in a different direction and to go places you don't need to go. And so, you know, the results are available to you, which, so you know, when I first read them, I hesitated to do that just because they're hard 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 to understand. But I didn't want you to think we're hiding anything because we're not. And if you look at them, I'm going to ask you if you would... Invite one of us to walk through them with you. So we had someone walk our leaders through the understanding of the results. And then three weeks later, we got together as we had allowed that to sink in. How do we best address our weaknesses? And then our staff actually got to have an hour with one of the authors of this survey. We got to talk with her and listen to her and then ask questions. And to be clear, just so you know, our goal from this survey is not to focus on, dwell on where we've been. We're going to focus on where we want to go and the kind of people that God is calling us to become. And so this series is designed to do just that, to help us begin to lean toward that. Because when we grow, we become more like Jesus. And in the process, we become more winsome. When you read through the gospels, what you notice is all kinds of people We're drawn to him. And so that's important because people are watching us. (laughs) And we want to make sure we get this right. In Matthew 5, Jesus says a lot. It's part of what he calls, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount because he delivered it on the side of a mountain. And we're just clever like that. Uh, And so uh, in the midst of everything that he said, he says this. We looked at uh, these verses A couple of weeks ago, he said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people, and it's just common sense to who he was speaking to, neither do you light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine uh, before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father uh, is who is in heaven. Paul says a very similar thing. In Philippians chapter two, it's like he grabs this idea and then he pulls it forward into the early church. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Isn't that interesting? Pay attention to that sentence, grumbling and arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation because when you do that, you will shine uh, like stars among them, stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of God. Couple of observations from those verses, from what Jesus said and what Paul said. The first one is this when I live my life this way, I actually help people see Jesus. I'm not talking about sinless, not talking about perfect. Please, please, please don't hear that. But when we continue to lean into this idea and what it means, we help people see Jesus. So Jesus said this about himself. Uh, in John chapter eight, we read this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. And someone said that Jesus was paying us, his followers, this great compliment. Because what he's telling, when he says you're the light of the world, what he's saying is you are like me. You and I, Right? We're alike, so that wherever you go, people see Jesus. It's how you act. It's the things you say. There's this winsomeness. The more you become like Jesus, there's this winsomeness, something attractive, something appealing about you in your home. If you're married, it's how you treat your spouse. It's how you treat your kids when your kids are acting, you know, like kids, right? It's how you treat them. Is there a sense of heaven in your home when you're there at work, how do you treat, speak about, speak to your boss or those around you? Or if you're the boss, how do you treat those who work for you? When you're around, do they get this glimpse, this reflection of Jesus? Or the person, you saw the spot first. You were coming around as quickly as you could and they took your parking space. Or you're stuck in traffic, and there's that person in front of you who's just going from lane to lane to lane to lane, driving you crazy. Or maybe it's the waiter or wait waitress who did not get your order exactly right. Or it's that clerk at the store. Or maybe it's one of your neighbors who just is acting like a jerk. How do you act or react to them? When we reflect Jesus, it means that we act, that we sound like Jesus would if he were in our place. Do people around us recognize that we are different from other people? Not, not because we act you know, Jewish 2,000 years ago, but because there's something in us, regardless of how we've been treated, that seems to value them anyway, just like Jesus values them. That's the first observation. Here's the second one. When I live my life this way, people will notice. I guarantee you, if you will live your life in a way that reflects Jesus, not again, it, you, we're not always going to get it right. We're going to get it wrong. We're going to fail miserably from time to time. Epic fail. I get that. But when you are leaning into this idea that it makes this difference in your life, 
I'm telling you, people will notice. The words that Paul uses shine like stars in the universe. Uh, there's a, the Septuagint, which is a word that we don't get to use in, in most of our, you know, conversations each day, is an ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Uh, by the time we get to the New Testament, the Israelites are speaking Greek. And so they translated the Hebrew into the Greek. Uh, and most likely, this is the translation that Paul and Jesus would have been familiar with. And so as Paul is writing to the early church, when he uses the word stars, we will shine like stars in the sky, he uses the exact same word that's used in the Septuagint in Genesis 1, 14 and 16 when God creates the sun, moon and stars. Listen, do you know why you notice the stars at night? They're different from everything around them because everything else around them is... Dark, right. It's dark outside except for the stars. And you can tell, you can tell when you go out at a night and it's, especially if you're outside of the city because the lights here tend to dim the star. But when you're out in the country and you look up and the stars are out, man, you notice it. If you, if you, if you can go out and there's no stars in the sky, you notice that as well. Uh, but Jesus says, not only are we, you know, do we shine like that, but we're a city set on a hill. Back in the first century, there, were no, there weren't like lights on the roads, you know. Uh, and so when you were traveling and night was coming, what you did see was especially a city that was up on a hill that was lit up. Man, you could just, you just, and it just gave you what you were pointing at, what you were pointing at. And I don't know if you've ever flown at night, especially if you've ever flown over the ocean at night. If you have, you know, it's just like totally dark. There's nothing out there uh, to see, no source of light. Isn't it wild when you approach a city? And you can tell, I mean, even if it's a little teeny tiny city, you just see a few lights down there. Oh, that's a really small town or just a neighborhood or something. But when you come to a big city, you ever noticed it almost glows. And it's not that the city is showing off. That's not what's going on. But what's happening is in the darkness, you just can't help but notice light. When you walk into a dark room in your house, the smallest nightlight, the glow from your alarm clock right? It tells you where your bed is so you can get to your bed, uh, it, you, but you're drawn to it. People can't help but notice. And if they are in darkness, they're at least going to notice. And if they're trying to find their way out of darkness, they're going to be drawn to this light. Jesus said, talking about Satan, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but not me. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I, I love that verse. Uh, I love what he said. But listen, there are people around us whose lives have been stolen, killed, and destroyed. That's the part of the verse we don't like to talk about. And all that they have left in their life right now is the wake of that destruction. Do you think that they take notice when other people who have had things stolen from them, like their innocence, or they've had fa family or friends stolen from them, jobs stolen from them, or, or they have had things killed or destroyed by lies or circumstances or bad decisions that they have made themselves. And yet they have found their way through this to a life that is life to the full, or as the Good News Translation uh, says it, life in all its fullness, or as the New Living Translation says it, a rich and satisfying life. It's life in its fullest sense. Not that everything's perfect, and I'm not, please don't hear health and wealth gospel. But people have, who have also been through the fire, and yet they somehow are different. There are people who live around us in our community 
who are hurting, who are searching, who are hungry. And so we have things like threads and we have uh, helping hands and we have one bistro and we have your life and we have my life because there are a lot of things that people need. People even in this room maybe need food or that maybe they need a job or maybe they need a relationship or security. But when it comes to the end of the day, what I want to make sure that you get, because this is what we have to center our lives around is when we get to the end of the day, the bottom line is everyone needs Jesus as their Lord and Savior. <laughs> because you can give them all those other things, but at the end of the day, when life is over, when the, you know, the time clock, you know, when it gets down to zero, if they don't have Jesus, they can have a full belly, nice clothes, and a great house. But without Jesus, they are lost forever. And we center our lives. That's why this is so important. Um, in his book, Irresistible Revolution, Shane Claiborne. By the way, if you've never read the book, Irresistible Revolution, Shane Claiborne, highly recommend it. He lived in one of the rougher uh, sections of Philadelphia. He tells about when he and a friend whose name is Michelle, they go out to get a loaf of bread and he writes this, we walked underneath the L tracks just a block from our house, a strip notorious for prostitution and drug trafficking. The air is thick with tears and struggle. And we walked past an alley and tucked inside was a woman who was tattered and cold and on crutches. And she approached me and asked if I wanted her services. Our hearts sank, but we scurried on to get our bread. And then we headed back home, nodding at the woman as we passed. We got home, we opened the bread, there was a gash in the bag. The bread had gone bad. We knew we needed to go back and get some more bread, but we knew if we did that, we we're going to go back by that woman again. And we did not want to do that. But we headed back to the store. We saw her in that alley crying and shivering. And we got our bread, and as we saw her yet again, we just could not pass her by. So we stopped and we told her we cared for her, that she was precious, that she was worth way more than the money she could get from tricks on the street. And we explained that we had a home that was a safe place where she could get warm and have something to eat. So she stumbled up onto her crutches and came home with us. And as soon as we entered the house, she started weeping hysterically. And Michelle held her as she wept. And when she gained her composure, she said, you're Christians, aren't you? Michelle and I looked at each other startled because we had said nothing, not one word about God or Jesus and our house doesn't have a cross in the window. There's no neon sign that says Jesus saves. There's not even this little Christian fish on the wall. There's nothing like that. She said, I know that you're Christians because you shine. I used to be in love with Jesus like that. And when I was, I shined like a diamond in the sky, like the stars. But it is a dark world. And I lost my shine a while ago. I lost my shine on those streets. Claiborne said, at that point, we were all weeping. And so she asked us to pray with her that she might shine again, and we did. He said, we prayed that this dark world would not take away our shine. So there's a class that Adam Leopard, actually today was the last day of our rooted class, uh, and he'll teach that again. If you have never taken the class, I don't care how long you've been here, if you've never taken the class, highly recommend that you get registered to take the next one. But in this class, you will read this. We can be in church so long that we forget that we have jumped from a sinking ship 
into a life raft. I think this is on your notes. Please look at these words. I want these to haunt. I just hope they'll haunt us and encourage us and spur us forward. We can, get, we can forget. We've been in the church for so long, we forget that we had to jump off a sinking ship, that this is a life raft, but it escapes us, so we begin to want to make the life raft more comfortable instead of rescuing others. We forget that this isn't about us. That there are people outside the walls of the church who don't know Jesus. And if somebody doesn't do something in the name of God, they will be separated from him for eternity. And so your next step, and by the way, this is everyone's next step. This is what I want you to do. If you're in this room, this is you. If you're listening online, this is you right here. Your next step, pray this prayer. These words, Jesus, and they're on your notes. Jesus, change me because I desperately need it. And the world desperately needs you. Literally, for a while, a week at least, pray that prayer, those words. Invite Ask, beg Jesus to work in you, to change you, to continue, because none of us are there to help continue to change us, to look like him because, listen, listen, they're not going to get Jesus unless Jesus gets us. They won't because they're watching and they're trying to figure him out. And they're trying to figure out how to follow him by watching us. Our friends need us to be like him. Second thing, all of us in the room, invite yours blank to blank. I don't know how to fill these in for you. Invite your neighbor. Invite your family member. Invite the person you invited to Easter who maybe blew you off, didn't even show up. They, they, maybe they said they would and didn't, or maybe they never said they would and they didn't. And, but, they, but don't give up on them. <laughs> invite them to coffee. Invite them to your house for a fire pit. Invite them to your house for dinner. Invite them for dessert. Invite them to, I don't know where you're going to invite them. What I'm asking you to do is in the month of May, before this month is over, and we're six days in, so we're kind of behind the eight ball on this. There's 24 more days. Invite them into your world so that you can learn about theirs and, and begin. This isn't the whole process. It just begins the process of Jesus walking into their world, reaching to someone's life who does not know Jesus this Month. I'm not talking about invite another church member. Invite someone who doesn't know Jesus into your life. Because if people die without Jesus, we will lose them forever. Just like we would have been lost forever if someone hadn't reached into our life and helped us find Jesus. But it all begins with this. Jesus changed me. Not only do I desperately need it, and listen, that's where most of us stop. Jesus changed me because I need it, and that's not where we stop. Change me because I desperately need it, and the world desperately needs you, and they're watching us. So as we do each week, we come to a time of communion, and we take, we take this time, and quite naturally, that is our prayer. 
because we all in this room all too well know our weaknesses and where we don't look like Jesus. And that's really what we hang on to for some reason rather than the areas where we do. So we pray this prayer and as we take the bread and the juice that remind us that Jesus died on the cross for the very sins that mar his image in our life. They're the things that cause us not to look like him. Our communion time draws us back each week and we include this prayer, probably doesn't sound exactly like that, but we let him know that we still know that we need him to help us look like him. We can't do it on our own. Help us, forgive us. We need to move forward. Let's go to him in prayer. God, we are grateful for this moment where we get to hold, actually hold in our hands reminders. They're just, they're placeholders. They're reminders of what Jesus did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago so that 2,000 years from that today, in this city, in this place, in our culture, in our neighborhood, our homes, our schools, our workplaces, God, we get to wear the image of Jesus, not around our neck on a cross, not on a fish on our books or on our car. We get to wear the image of Jesus in our lives because people are watching, regardless of whether we want them to or not, regardless of whether we think we're watchable. They watch us. God, may there be something winsome in our lives. May there be something that is appealing or attractive that looks like Jesus, that draws them not to us, but through us to you. And this time of communion, God, we hold these emblems that just take us back to why that's even possible. So God, may you be blessed as we remember and we are desperate to have you continue to change us so that we can look like your son. And it's in his name, our Savior's name, that we pray. Amen.